This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space. Well, you know, howdy there and howdy. Thanks for tuning in. Hanging out here on the other side of Texas. Glad that you are with us and that you're telling your friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. We covered a lot of stuff over the past couple of months, and I think that you'll find from as you carry along and maybe even tarry along with us here on the program that uh, I happen to walk into some things and give you the scoop, and we try to cover it in a fair way, not a hack-worthy way. Uh, media is not uh, my chosen profession, but it is a good way to not go crazy on Facebook. So uh, this is a good good therapy to be with you all here in the Racer Car Wash studios. Racer Car Wash, you hear me brag about these guys. As soon as it stops raining, I'm going to go see them there at one of five convenient locations across the big old hub city for the best wash around, guaranteed. Check them out, racercarwash.com. I want to chime in on the program. Gotten some smart texts this week. 806-745-5800 is how you can text into the program. 806-745-5800. Plenty going on. Just put up a new piece about the enterprise general manager. The big general manager saying that he... The enterprise will not be taxed, cannot be taxed underneath a new federal law signed in to law by Donald Trump, President Donald J. Trump. On October 5, uh, rental, you can't impose taxes on rental cars at airports for projects away from the airport. That's a new law. Old Old projects that were funded under that mechanism are grandfathered in, but no new, it appears. Now, look, this is, there is some difference of opinion. That happens to be my interpretation, obviously the interpretation of the car lobby, uh, the rental car lobby that ran this in through some guy, I think his name's Rodney Anderson, a Republican in Illinois. His last name's something. We'll effort on that. Daniel, effort on that and let me know. He uh, he drove this amendment that says no new taxes on airport for projects off airport. Some interpret it differently. Those interpretations will wind up in federal court. But for now, it is an October surprise from Washington, and it has been just that, a surprise in Lubbock County. Myself, to some other folks as well, those who are leading what I think is a, a really good a really good project, uh, the Lubbock County Expo Center project. There are some specifics that need to be fleshed out, and I wish that I knew what the impact would be. I've not been given, I've requested that several times to know what the impact it would be. That project is supposed to be funded by hotel occupancy taxes that the group has said 
publicly on social media, members of that group, I should say, the organization, the 501, let me be specific, the 501c3, that is the Lubbock County Expo Center Steering Committee, has said that they think that they can make up this number for a project that's supposed to be 50, 40 to 50 million. That's what the ballot ask is for up to 5% on rental cars, up to 2% on hotel occupancy taxes, hot taxes. And I think it, I think based on, you know, at least in the last four years, their numbers stand correct that they can pay for the big bulk of that 40 million and maybe 50 million and probably pay it off early. And so the rental car thing doesn't hurt them very much, but it seems to me that Lubbock's one of the first places in the state that say, dare I say the country that is having to deal with this issue in October surprise that's spooking a lot of ballots. That's there. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the program about that today. Matter of fact, in the morning, 7 a.m., I will be, if you're listening outside of Lubbock, I'll be, you can catch it on the other side of Texas stream, online stream. I'll be on the Wade Wilkes program. It is from 7 to 9 each weekday morning at behind this very microphone that I'm speaking on now. Studios where Buddy Holly became famous. I'll be on Wade Wilkes' show with a couple of steering committee members from the Lubbock County Expo Center effort this morning. I went in and they put me under. That's right. They put me under this morning. I had to get myself. I don't think it meets that criteria of breaking news, but I had to get an EGD to check out what's going on in my stomach that can handle and eat anything. Big Texan twice. Um, a whole lot of other things I probably shouldn't talk about on air. And I don't know what EGD stands for. Uh, esophagus, uh, gastro, endoscope, I don't know, something. Something like that. <clears throat> but, man, I got to tell you, I, I've learned two things this morning going in for the EGD. Number one, the appointment was at 945. I will never do another outpatient mid-morning because they say 945, but what they mean is about 1130. And so you go and you sit there, and I swear my rear end sitting up in that outpatient waiting room behind the curtain with just that gown on with all my, all my majesty underneath, I, man, my rear end hurt worse than it did whenever we went to go watch uh, a star is born. So ready to get out of there. But my other observation, and did it at UMC, great folks there at UMC, by the way, uh, propofol. Is that how you say it? Propofol? 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 Whatever killed Michael Jackson. That is a great thing. Let me just tell you, like, you go out. Like, usually I've got good stamina whenever it comes to various things. And... That thing, I remember smelling it, and then I don't remember anything else. And I just wonder, like, you know, like on Facebook, people always just give you their good sides, the sweet things that are going on, the nice things that are going on in their families. And you never get, like, me and my wife had a divorce-worthy fight last night. Like, you never hear about the dirt. Like, oh, we missed the mortgage payment. Or, 
you know, my daughter told me that she hates me, or you never get that stuff, right? And something you don't hear enough parents talk about are links that they'll go to to get the kids in bed finally. Because whenever the kids were younger, we put them to bed, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Now that begins to just, just they, the bigger they get, the longer this gets drawn out. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't think, I wonder if this propofol comes in like, I don't know, like a, a hundredth of a milligram or just, just made me think, just, uh, just being honest on the radio. We would never give the kids propofol. My wife is going to hear this. And she's going to get very frustrated. Coming up on the program, Chris Level, Red Raiders Sports. We're going to preview Kansas, which isn't going to take very long. So then we're going to get some other good stories and uh, talk some Red Raiders Sports. Steve Verrett coming up, uh, Plains Cotton Growers. Uh, lots of questions I've gotten about the state of cotton. You drive by and you're, you know, we're used to seeing those big white Caprock bowls out there and you don't see much of the bowl and it's not as wide as it was. What does that mean? What could it mean for farmers? And then what could it mean growers and producers is kind of the new term. And what could it mean for uh, those of us who are, who may unknowingly uh, be impacted by economic hits and Steve Brett will be coming up as well also want to get into and i'm going to reach out to kelly hancock kelly hancock is a a state senator in texas he just got endorsed by he's a republican in I, i think out of dallas somewhere around dallas where there are like more state senators than there are state representatives out here on this side of texas But he pitched this idea to the Dallas Morning News to fund uh, public education with power plants from small towns. I'll read more of that uh, coming up later in the program. Chris Level coming up in a couple of minutes and then Steve Verrett. But I've got a few thoughts on what that could mean. To take revenues from rural public school districts and put them into Austin's coffers. Folks, that's the most suburbitarian idea I've heard in some time. A little bit better than shut down rural hospitals and we'll just helicopter folks out from places where the wind can get up to 40 miles per hour, 50, maybe 180 miles per hour, and we'll just, we'll just fly them, we'll just medevac them to, uh, to Dallas and Houston and those sorts of Incredible. You just you can't make this stuff up. Uh, Chris Level coming up here in a couple of minutes. Stick with us right here on your other side. Your thoughts, 806-745-5800. Text them in. See you in a couple. Back into the other side. Uh, title One, Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and uh, Title Escrow Company brings you this segment of the program. Title One committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. We missed them last week because there was a big Thursday game 
And uh, now he's back this week. He's busy being Mr. Sideline. He is Chris Level of Red Raider Sports. I say of Red Raider Sports, but it's your Red Raider Sports.com. Chris Level, how are you, buddy? I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, missed you last week, but yeah, we were we were busy and uh, busy getting a, getting a win in Fort Worth. That's always nice to do. Big win. And we, I, uh, John Goodner was around the last time I said defense won that game. <laughs> it's it's been a while. Yeah, so I think this was the stat. You, you go back to 2001, which is the last time that Texas Tech had won a game. Uh, where they had not scored more than 20 points, and mm. uh, that was uh, that was a team quarterback by Cliff Kingsbury himself, and they beat A and M 12 to nothing. 2001, 20 or under. Wow. Yeah. How uh, about that? So, you're there on the sidelines, and it's funny. I mentioned, I talked about this at the beginning of the week, but uh, Mac, I think Mac Engler is his name, sports columnist. Fort Worth Mike Engel, yeah. Engel, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, called Cliff Coach Bro. I mean, bad form after you get beat. And, you know, level my deal was I could write – I write things as well, sometimes from big platforms. I'm not going to take to a big platform and call um, call Gary Patterson the um, – well, I think – do we have that there? I think we've got it there. I'm not going to say that Gary Patterson is – in a down by the river. I'm not going to call him coach <laughs> down by the river. You know, that, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think Mac was just trying to get everybody stirred up. He's a columnist. Uh, I, I, I had some interaction with him in the press box after the game. I, I don't. I think the tech fans uh, saw that and took it as a slight, and I can certainly understand that. And then when when uh, when, when he saw the reaction, he did kind of dug his heels in on the whole deal. Um, yeah. You know, but I mean. I think even wrote some things basically blaming the poor crowd on Texas Tech, of all things, even though it was a road game. So, uh, But, they, again, I, I don't care, you know, about that article. I think you, you, you got what you needed out of that game. You're 4-2. and two, You're moving on. And TCU's got a whole bunch of problems, and uh, Texas Tech was one of those, certainly. <laughs> a lot of problems. Chris Level carrying on here. Now, let's move over to Kansas. And then I want to talk about Hokut. But, you know, I learned this. Do you know what – I think about Kansas. I don't even know their coach's name now. Who coaches Kansas? Uh, David Beatty is a guy's name, and he was at Texas A&M whenever Cliff was there, but he's an old Texas high school coach. Okay. So, I just miss Mark Mangino, and <laughs> I miss him. What's he doing now? Um, You know, last I saw, he was – um. I don't know, Jay. I don't know if he's even in the game anymore. He he had done some stuff for uh, for Iowa State there for a time, uh, and he may have been doing. He may be like a young Youngstown State now or something like as a coordinator or or something. I have to go and look, but uh, he he's not at any any Power Five school or anything. I don't believe. Okay, well, of course he was he was rather voluminous, uh, rather large, but I remember. I came across an Italian fellow one day, and I asked him, "What's it mean to uh, to eat?" And he said, "I eat as mangerno," 
And I thought, oh my gosh, that's the most ironic thing I ever heard. Mongerno, <laughs> Mongerno. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Kansas, bud. And uh, do we have anything to be concerned about? Well, it's, yeah, I, th- I think that all these games are a concern at some level. This is kind of your quintessential trap game, right? You know, you go win a big game on the road and you come back and you, you have a team at home that you're supposed to, to beat somewhat handily. And, you, you know, you're 18-1 and one against these guys. They, they fired their offensive coordinator last week during the bye week. Mm. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to – and they're not, they're not just terrible. They're not as bad as some Kansas teams have been. They've got a good running back named Puka Williams. Uh, they actually lead the country in takeaways as far as creating turnovers with 18, if you can believe that. So 11 interceptions and seven recovered fumbles. So, I, again, I think it's enough to get uh, Tech's attention. So, but, but again, I, I think you don't get caught up in the beauty uh, pageant here as far as, like, how many points you're winning by or anything like that. You just want to figure out a way to get win number five on Saturday and, uh, and move on to, to Iowa State next week. Is that I need I should know this, but I don't. I've been involved in too many gates and too many Lubbock Expo centers at this point. Uh, that game is at Iowa State. Yeah, it, it is in Ames. It's an 11 a.m. kick uh, a week from this Saturday, so it'll be. Uh, and they, you know, they kind of got some things figured out. They have a brand new quarterback in the mix, but again, you can't worry about that. You got to get through Kansas first. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. The Children's Hospital oversees a stadium there at Iowa State, right? No, no that's that's University of Iowa, the oh, Hawkeyes. Man. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all, you're, you're close, but uh, yeah, it's the other school in Iowa. That's why we talk about Texas politics on this show and not sports. <laughs> there, Chris Lebel. Hey, all, all good. Hey, you, you you were in the same same state, same vicinity. I'll, we'll give you a pass on that. All right. I was just I was thinking if you were. A, a sideline guy looking up at that, that would be quite something. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I, well, uh, real quick, I'll tell you that something that's being done this weekend, I think, where you have a lot of these schools wear these alternative uniforms. So along the lines of what Iowa does, where they wave, everybody waves, and like in between the third and fourth quarter, I think, up to the Children's Hospital. I think UAB, okay, which a program which wasn't even in existence a few years ago because the, the school decided – we're going to do away with it. We can't afford it. Well, they brought it back, and they're having a pretty good year. They are actually having a alternate uniform this weekend, where they will have each player on their team will have a different name of a of a uh, children or child that's in one of the local hospitals, like a patient, wow. uh, on on the back of their jersey. And I thought that was pretty unique, pretty cool, and a great way to. Uh, to kind of show respect to those kids and let them everybody know that they're thinking about them. So I thought that was pretty slick. Don't you get me choked up on the radio, Chris Level? <laughs> Dead gummit. Um, tell me about or tell us about the quarterback situation. What's Bowman looking like? Can Bowman come back from a collapsed lung? What's what's usually the time? Oh yeah, oh yeah, like yeah. He he will uh, if if he's not your starting quarterback on Saturday, he will be next week versus Iowa State unless there's some sort of setback uh, and I don't I don't think that there, there would be um, if, if Allen can't start on Saturday then it would definitely be Jet Duffy but Allen is is really close to being back he was in Fort Worth went through warm-ups and and everything like that and uh, he's been able to throw the ball with not much pain and then he, he'll be back very very soon if not this Saturday did McVeigh drive him to Fort how did he get to Fort Worth Somebody drove him. I mean, he, did he, you? Uh, <laughs> no, no, he was not with me. Uh, but but he was there, and uh, I'd, I'd kind of known what the plan was, and and he uh, he was just kind of kind of warm up just to 
one, keep him in the groove, but, but two, kind of just make sure that uh, the, the folks in purple weren't exactly sure who was going to be the starter until the very last possible moment. So, uh, you know, but TCU was doing the same thing. So it might be, uh, look, understand we aren't going to look past Kansas. I got it. it. This might be a good game to let him sit again before you go up to Iowa State. You know, I I don't think that they would look at it like that. I think that if if he's if he's good enough to go, he's the starter, and I think he would he mm. will play this weekend if if he's healthy. Or I don't let think him it would spin be his wheels then. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't know if they would like say, hey, let's just let's just hold you out and let's you know. I think they want to get him back out there. Um, I just don't think if you're Cliff, if if he, if you feel like he's your best option and he is in fact healthy, that that you would say let's just you know let you rest up and get Jet some more experience and. And all those things, because I think uh, I think Bowman has shown them internally that he, he's he's the guy. So, uh, but it, it's a matter of you know, since that injury is internal, if he takes another hit, does it? Do you run the risk of something similar happening, or, or just whatever? And it may take a fluke hit like it did the first time, but you just want to make sure that he's going to be okay if, if something like that happens again. Yeah, it really was a tide changer, I think, in to go to Fort Worth and, you know, a little bit of a letdown the week before, but to go into Fort Worth and to win that game and to win that game on defense with, with a backup QB that, and, and I think a left tackles hurt. I mean, we've got several key injuries, but to still walk out of there with a W. No doubt. I mean, there's no question. Uh, it was, you know, and the most impressive part about like like last weekend is that, or last week, I guess it was, is that you you've shown the ability to like win games in different ways. Now it reminded me of Beard's team last year in basketball, where they'd go up against an opponent that would run up down the floor, and Tech could match it and and beat them at that style. Well, then you'd come up against a team that would really want to slow it down and be real methodical and not run up down the floor, and Tech could do that too. And I think that you've seen Kingsbury's team this year beat Houston at their own game. You know, if you, you want to, you want to get into a shootout and we can, we can do that and we'll beat you and we'll beat you handily. And, and you want to play field position and play a defensive battle and all that, which is what TCU wants to do. And, and you were able to beat them at that. I think it's just a sign of a good team. So we'll see if they can keep it going. Okay. So let's cross over sports into some politics for just a second. Ready? Here's my thesis. All right. Have you ever heard of the five state solution in Texas where Texas cannot secede. People think Texas can secede, but it can't. What Texas can do is break up into multiple states. Let's say West Texas became its own state. Here's my thesis to you, Chris Level. I've often argued, especially recently, that Kirby Hillcutt is the most powerful man in Lubbock, Texas. If this football team gets with it, because the thing that's been lagging for Kirby Hillcutt in his portfolio has been the football team. If this football team finishes top three in the Big 12, Lady Raiders, turnaround, he's already got baseball in his pocket, track in his pocket, basketball in his pocket. He would be the governor of the state of West Texas. Agree or disagree? <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, he, uh, he is very powerful. Uh, I think he's just got, but I don't think he would, he necessarily treats it like that, if, if that's what you mean. But I, I think that he, he he would tell you right now we still got to get this uh, some of these situations fixed uh, and, and pointed in the right direction. But I mean he you know he's under contract for a long time and I know he loves it here. But I think this is kind of what he's been working toward and what he thinks Texas Tech is capable of. Not just 
being good at one sport or the other sport or whatever that, you know, why, why can't you be good simultaneously and all of these things? And it, and it costs money. I mean, this is expensive business to be in when you try to take care of coaches and, and all of that. So you, you want to make sure that you keep everybody here and keep them happy and keep them well paid so they don't leave. And, you know, we're going to get a demo expert on to talk about how this Coliseum is going to go down, uh, be leveled, Chris Level. Uh, and I think next year I went to the State of the University, the Chambers thing, and they were talking about – I'll have to look at the timeline again. I think it's early next year that they're looking at uh, leveling that. I think they're going to put up a student dorm there. Um, but, Level, here's what I want. You remember back in the 90s whenever Tony Baroni had the brawl in the Coliseum? Oh yeah, yeah. There was the, the yeah, there was the, the the punch. All I want out of that is that first row of seats, <laughs> in which in front that uh, Brony had the brawl. That's all I want. I'll try to pull you one too, buddy. Yeah, give me one. You know, and, and so you'll you'll you know basketball will have a game there on December the fifteenth and the throwback game, and that'll be it. That'll be the last one. Wow. And I think they'll do the the rodeo. And what what is that early March or mid March? But I think that that would be the last event uh, in there, and I, I would guess that that would be. I bet your timeline will tell you that it'll be April or on when they would take that thing down. Hey, whoa, whoa! If I have season tickets, like I do, lower bowl, chest tap to uh, Chris Beard. Are my tickets going to be good for the December fifteen game, or is that a different kind of ticket? It's it's separate because uh, they can't because the seats are in sections are all different and so yeah you got to you got to buy a separate ticket for that one. Man, hey, well, trust me, I, my the, the level family's in the same boat, man. So I had to, I already had to send an order in for that. four tickets to that to that game. How about that? You give an inside scoop there. Chris Level's got his coach's show, Cliff Kingsbury, coming up six o'clock, ninety-seven point three. That right level. Yes, sir. Or you can just go down to Rudy's and hang out with both of them. Yes, you can. We'd love to have you. Sit out in the car and listen to the other side of Texas until you do, though. There you go. May have a chance to win some tickets to that Kansas game on on Saturday as well if you you show up here. There you go. Chris Level. Hey, I appreciate you. I know you got stuff to do. We're going to let you go. And we appreciate it. You as always each week breaking it down with us. Chris Level, go check out Red Raiders Sports, y'all. Have a good one, bud. Thanks, Coach Leeson. I will talk to you next Thursday, <laughs> my man. I like it. All right. We'll talk to yes, you Yes, sir. Uh, there's Chris Lovell. We're going to get Steve Red on here in about uh, five minutes from now if you're listening to the live broadcast of the most listened to program. Whenever you include the whole medium, I'm going to say that right here on the other side of Texas. Also want to get a little bit back. I might save it for tomorrow my rural indignation for suburbitarians that want to fund public schools by taking power plant revenues and putting them into the state coffers. Oh, man, I'm probably going to wait on that for tomorrow because I've got all sorts of hell to unleash on that. But also a couple other notes to get into. Stick right with us here. What's going on with cotton? You worried? Is Steve Rett worried? We'll see. A couple minutes from now right here. Yeah, man, raving on right here on the other side of Texas, which is sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown, LLP, with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, 
financial restructuring and pushing the buttons financial restructuring employment law and estate planning right now we want to go out and we've got our friend steve verrett he is with plains cotton growers uh steve verrett how are you doing we're glad that you're with us here on the program again good afternoon jay is it a good afternoon, Steve? Because I've had people, I've had inquiries from people, been meaning to get you on the show. I was walking with somebody the other day across the parking lot, and we were talking about all this other stuff, and they looked at me and said, what is this? It was kind of drizzly outside. It was after the State of the University, Texas Tech University event, in which, by the way, yeah. uh, Ted Mitchell was asked, do you have the political capital to get a vet school and a dental school done? And he said, Damn right, uh, that yeah, guy. He did. Did. Yeah. did you know I'm going to dress up like him for Halloween? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm going to go down and see Maurice Stanley, my barber. Get a flat top? No, not just a flat top, a three-inch flat top. Okay, and then, okay. And then I'm going to get me a uh, Health Sciences Center jacket and uh, <laughs> put a piece of tape on it and say Ted with two Ds. Uh, but somebody <laughs> looked at me and they said, goodness gracious, what's this mean for cotton? And I thought, thank you for asking that question. A lot of us ought to be asking that question because even though we may not be out in the fields, even though we may not be on the bowl pullers, this is a, this is potentially a problem that we see out there that we've had so – right now we need sun and we need it to blow just air, cold or hot, whatever – but we don't need all this precipitation. It's raining at just the wrong time. But break it down for us, Steve Rett. What does it mean that we look at cotton fields where we usually see caprock white, but we don't see much of a bowl? And when we do, it's not nearly as white as it needs to be. Yeah, it's, uh, there's no doubt that, that, that you know, this is causing some issues with quality. That's, that's the biggest problem we have, uh, you know, the rain that we had, you know, we've been in this for about two weeks now. I was looking back at the calendar. Uh, my son, we actually pulled some cotton the first week of October, and that Friday night, it started raining. And so we've been out two weeks, and basically every day hadn't been as bad as today. We've had a few sunny days, but not much. For the most part, it's been overcast, cloudy, drizzly, rainy, just kind of yucky. And, uh, you know... On the one hand, this crop, maturity-wise, was further along uh, than what the crop was last year and further along than an average crop. So on the one hand, that was good. We'd started harvest. Some cotton had been harvested before the rain hit. Because that helps volume, right? Do what? Because we're talking about volume at that point, and that's a good thing. Yes, that's right. And But we've got, had a lot of cotton that was defoliated. And even if it wasn't defoliated, it was probably 40 to 50% open when this rain started. Uh, Steve, the, well, let me stop you. For people who don't know much about cotton, what do you mean by defoliated? Defoliate because uh, cotton is a perennial plant. Uh, it, it has to be defoliated before it can be harvested. We have to take the leaves off. We apply a chemical to take the leaves off mm-hmm. and open up the unopened bowl. All right. Now, freeze will do the same thing. Uh, ultimately, it will kill the plant, but until we get that freeze, if we want to start harvesting, we have to put a bowl opener and a defoliant on it to get the leaves off. So a lot of cotton had had that preparation put on it. 
so uh, that's that's the risk that we've got right now, and the damage that we may be experiencing is in quality. Uh, now, typically, you know, we we have a reputation of growing a very bright white cotton because typically we don't get a lot of moisture during harvest once the cotton opens up. And if we do get a little bit, uh, you know, a few days of good sunny weather, open, uh, you know, sun on that cotton will tend to bleach some of it out, get it back to white. But when you have this long a period of time, lots of times that color becomes, that color change becomes a lot more permanent and there's not much you can do about it. So that's the biggest risk we have uh, at this point. We haven't lost a lot of yield uh, because our rain, for the most part, has, has come pretty slowly. Not a lot of wind. There's been a few exceptions. We had a little hail in some areas and a little violent weather here a week or so ago. But for the most part, it's just been rain without a lot of wind or, or hard rain. Do you mean violent or normal? <laughs> 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 well, you don't think about that kind of uh, violence this time of year in weather. You know, we have those kind of storms in the certainly in the spring and the summer, but typically when we get to the fall, we we don't usually have. Uh, it's not typical to have the the wilder weather, no. the more violent weather. Uh, Steve Verrett, Plains Cotton Growers, knows everything about cotton. That's why we have him on. And cotton, about five billion dollars annual economic impact. I say it all the time within a 100-mile radius of Lubbock, Texas. So, Steve, we had a couple of questions to follow up on there. Uh, one, it seems to me that as soon as this weather clears up and it gets sunny, these guys are going to get out there and just the grade be damned, the quality be damned. They're going to try to get it out in case something else happens, right? There's no doubt. I mean, uh you know, on our own personal operation, we have a good bit of cotton that's defoliated. And the limiting factor will be when the ground will hold up the harvester and we can get going. We're not going to, uh, but to do that, it's probably going to take a good five or six days anyway of good, of sunshine all day and a little bit of wind to dry it out. So if we can get that sunshine, that'll help get the cotton looking a little better. But you know, we're not going to wait around two weeks to let the sun bleach the cotton out. The primary goal will be gathering uh, the crop as soon as we possibly can so we don't take the risk of getting any more bad weather on it. So yeah. that's okay. exactly right. We'll, it, it'll be going full blast just as soon as the ground dries up enough that we can get in there. Yeah, okay. So, but, so let's say that people take that, I want to say chance, but it seems like a good bet to just get in there and get it while you can get it. Uh, but whenever we talk, we talk about volume and we talk about grade of cotton, they take it in now, then what's it for, for novices to this novices to cotton, even though it is such a big economic driver, lots of people don't know much about it. They take in the grade now, uh, what would it be versus what it usually is and what kind of lot? Let's say that you've got a 30, I think pretty standard, correct me if I'm wrong, pretty standard cotton operation would be 3,500 acres. Um, yeah. what, what are folks losing on grade at this point? Well, you know, even if it's just a small change in color, going from like a 31 color, which is what we typically grow a lot of in this country, 
uh, and that's that's a good bright. That's a midland grade and a white cotton. That's what it is. Uh, if you just go down one grade to a forty-one, that's not too bad. That's only it's a little less than two cents a pound. But if you go from a thirty-one to a thirty-two, which goes from a white to a light spot, and that could very well be the case with what we're looking at right now. That's talking about about 2.7 cents. And it's even within the realm of possibility you might go from a 31 to a 42, which is a, a strict low midland uh, light spot. Then you're talking about nearly 5 cents discount. So, per you know, pound. that's not even t- that per pound. And that's mm-hmm. not even taking into account maybe any extra leaf uh, that might be in the cotton uh, because. You know, the rain maybe made some of the leaf particles stick in there a little bit more, and it's a little bit harder for the for the gin to get it out. But if you you know, if you look at five cents a pound, you're talking about twenty five dollars a bale. Is what you're talking about. And you know, and I was doing a little bit of figuring earlier when I knew I was going to come on here. If you look at you know, looks like we're going to make anywhere from three point seven to three point nine million bales on the plains if we can get it harvested. You talk about five cents, you're talking about nearly $94 million hmm. uh, less value in the crop. So uh, it's significant. You know, it, it's about yield, certainly, but it's also about quality as well. And, and you know, with the, as tight as margins are down this business, you need both uh, to make it work. So we're just, everybody's uh, hopeful and praying that, uh, you know, that this weather will get out of here maybe by the first of next week and we can get back to something a little more normal, what we'd see this time of year. So, you know, but I'd say, I'd say one thing, you know, uh, we all know we needed the rain terribly to, to replenish our soils, to replenish our lakes, a lot of things. So, you know, uh, you're not finding too many farmers at this point in time that are just, you know, ready to just jump off a cliff by any means because they know we needed it. But then also that when we look at our neighbors over in the southeast that that where that hurricane came through and they were harvesting one of the best crops they ever had. And I mean a big part of that country's been reduced to nothing. Uh I mean, you have to try to put some of this stuff in perspective yeah. and try to take the best Try to look at it as best as you possibly can. Where was that hit biggest? Is it Georgia or is it Carolina? Yeah, Georgia. Georgia, South Georgia. I was talking to a good friend of mine that has it's my counterpart in the southeast. He was talking about he drove, and he said, you know, lots of times in these things, you know, Jay, whether it's a hurricane or whatever, you know, we only see. You know, you, what you see on TV, they don't go to where there's not much damage. They go to where it's the worst. And so, you know, I've been seeing on Twitter and social media of some bad stuff. But he said, what you've been seeing and hearing reported does not overestimate or overdramatize how bad it is. They're talking about that it can be up to a million bales lost in Georgia alone. Okay, so here's uh, the softball to you, Steve Verrett. We're looking at a farm bill. We're kind of scratching our heads right now. For people, we get people from both sides who listen to this program. Right. Uh, both sides of the political spectrum. 
Give us a 60-second pitch on why a farm bill is important and the sort of forces against which a, a producer farmer contends, including hurricanes, and uh, we've got all sorts of stuff going on with trade. Just take a couple of minutes. Uh, take a minute sure. here and tell us about why a farm bill is so important. Well, a critical part of the farm bill is also the crop insurance title, and that's what farmers look for in these kind of situations. Uh, you know, but typically at harvest time, it's hard when you've got everything in the crop and, you know, most of the time insurance doesn't cover but about 60 to 65% of your average yield, your yield history. But for those guys over there that, you know, lose 100% of the crop, It'll step in and help, but it's not going to make them whole by any means because, as I said, you know, you've got about a 35% deductible, So, uh, but it will help keep them in business. That's one portion of it. Uh, the rest of the farm bill uh, looks more at long-term price declines, and that's what had been missing for cotton until we got put back in the farm bill for this 18 uh, crop year. And now we have that long-term price protection, that's maybe not going to come into play much this year because the prices are not all that bad on cotton. They're not as high as they were three months ago, but they're, they're still, uh, historically speaking, at, at a pretty good level. But it's all of those things together, the crop insurance and then the price support that's there for long-term low prices that are necessary to keep people going from year to year. Uh, and, and one thing you know, but on the crop insurance side, you know, producers pay a premium. It is subsidized by the government, but they also have to put a, a premium in there as well. They have a stake in the game as well. Well, Steve Rett, this thing carries on. Hope that you'll come back on the show. We appreciate you making time to explain cotton to some of us who are more simple-minded than you. Appreciate it, Jay. Always glad to come on. All right, Steve Barrett, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, going to jump into a quickie break and get back on, and I'm going to – I don't know what I want to do. Uh, did you hear about David Smith, the former chancellor who uh, pled guilty and has to – the former Texas Tech chancellor, who's somewhere up in the northeast now, and – pled guilty to some charges, gets probation, has to pay back a quarter million dollars. And I just think back to Saladgate. When was that? Like 2004, Bob Knight threw his salad at David Smith. And I would have to think that Coach Knight was laughing pretty hard whenever he saw that story um, vindicated some 14, 15 years later. Also, make it into... This daggum proposal. I, these guys, I'm telling you, these suburbitarians, first of all, I take great opposition to so much of what I hear called conservatism does not conserve. And that's why I rave on from an independent point of view. It does not conserve. It does not conserve place. And it does not conserve traditions within a place. It comes at a cost way too often, and that's especially practiced within what I've called suburbitarians, um, and they're all over the place in Texas, and they don't have any mind for what goes on outside of 
their suburban districts. And it seems to me that Kelly Hancock, who I will invite on the show, I will send him an email or his staff or whoever an email to come on the show and explain this proposal that he's thrown out to fund, to take away funding of power plants near schools. First it's power plants. Then it'll be wind energy. Mark my words, because they don't want to do the right thing. And, fund public education, a fun George W. Bush quote about that from 1994 coming up. I'm getting too revved up. I've got to keep my commitments to great sponsors. We're going to do that now and jump back in with you right here live from AM 580. Hey, here we are. Last segment, closing up shop on this episode of Your Other Side of Texas, which is brought to you by Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. Need some document and storage shredding services? Some folks do, and uh, you might think about them. I like them. Other people like them. Uh, what do you got? They uh, might be able to help you as well for a free and hassle-free estimate. Call 806-744-7666. That's LubbockFileRoom.com. Uh, you know, we tweet from the show. Go check us out. Uh, follow along at OSTX Show there on Twitter. Usually don't do it on Facebook because Facebook really grinds my gears with their algorithms and, you know, we'll post something and sometimes 5,000, sometimes, sometimes a lot more than that. We'll see something. Other times you look and it's like, well, 15, this post reached 15 people. And that really, that really grinds my gears about Facebook. They're, they're limiting who can see what and... I just uh, don't know about that kind of censorship, but I don't want to get off on Facebook rant right now. But we did on our Twitter, uh, we promoted, look, folks, I'm getting some rumblings, and we may need to uh, rev back up the engines on a little situation we've called Regent Gate. And... I'm just beginning to hear more rumblings, people reaching out. I really do think that by January, you're going to see at least one more regent. Well, in this case, not step down from chair position. And I heard from somebody today that said, I'd be surprised if Rick Francis makes another former chair of the Texas Tech Board of Regents makes another meeting this year. He's he's up in January. I think pretty clear to Rick Francis that he will not be reappointed. And uh, Rick Francis has been asked to respond to requests that folks have put in and that the rest of the regions do, and he did not do that. It, this is why he was still chair. I think more will come. On that front, I'm sorry to be vague with you, but just trying to make the point that there are a lot more, not a lot more, a few more layers to the onion here. But there is one region in particular, and I'll go ahead and say it now, Mickey Long, 
I would be surprised if Mickey Long does not step down you know, by January. And I'm gathering that up, and I'll substantiate that claim for you in the weeks, days and weeks to come. I I don't expect Mickey Long to be there in 2019. And those are the rumblings. We previewed some Regent Gate rumblings. I can't go any further than that right now. I try not to be. Some people think I'm tabloid, like this stuff that I broke. At the beginning on the Regent stuff, you don't know what you're talking about. And the beginning on the stuff with the rental car lobby running through a bill that would hurt projects, uh, propositions like, good propositions like the Lubbock County Expo Center. You don't know what you're talking about. Two-bit radio guy, da-da-da. And that's fine. And I don't, you won't hear me on these air. And if you do, I want you to correct me. But I don't have thin skin. And I don't say, well, I've got a platform. I'm going to ruin you. That's not what I do. But folks can think what they may and they do, and I think more and more they'll find that I don't put, like I was speaking to a Texas Tech group, and I mean this. I hope that this is, does not in any way sound sanctimonious, but I don't have an editor at OthersideOfTexas.com because I run OthersideOfTexas.com. I run it by some folks. I sit down with my wife and say, this is what I think, and these are the situation. What do you think? Um, and I get feedback from various people and I check things out from several different angles before I go with it, but I don't go with it unless I know and that I can brush my teeth at night, put both hands, both palms on the sink across both sides of the countertop, look into the mirror, look into my own eyes and say it was the right thing to do. Uh, but I can tell you that if I'm Mickey Long, I'm taking that long look in the mirror right now and saying, I, I've got to step down. And maybe another who's tied with Mickey Long. But that's uh, stuff that we will be getting into um, in the days to come here on the program. I'm going to tease tomorrow's program by telling you this. And I'm going to reach out to this individual. As you may or may not know, there are 31 senators in the Texas Senate. By and large, they come from the suburbs, and they are Republicans. And folks like Kel Seliger stand up from them from time to time, state senator out of Amarillo, frequent guest on this program. The Dallas Morning News, and I'm probably just going to write. I'm going to write in that same publication, Dallas Morning News, to, to push back on what Kelly Hancock, Kelly Hancock has a Democrat, uh, he, he represents Northeast Tarrant County. He's got a Democratic opponent uh, who's named Gwen Burrud, B-U-R-U-D. Kelly Hancock, Senate District 9 out of Northeast Tarrant County, the news endorsed Kelly Hancock in this race, and I'll read for you two paragraphs here. Hancock does offer specifics on school funding. He aims to reduce. Now, hold on. Let me pull up that. Let me pull up that tweet right quick. Uh, our friend R.G. Ratcliffe of the uh, Texas Monthly, with a great find today, goes back in the records 1994. 
says local, quote, this is a quote from 1994, George W. Bush. Local property taxes will continue to skyrocket until the state steps up to the plate and works to meet its full obligation for school funding. End quote. The state share then, says Ratcliffe, is uh, 45%. Today, it is 38%. You wonder why your property taxes continue to go up, but your school district's rates remain the same? It's kind of dazed and confused. Property taxes go up, everything stays the same. That's a uh, 90s reference for you. But the point is that these guys, these um, tax and borrow conservatives, or cut taxes and borrow conservatives at a much higher price than we would have paid in the first place are playing the game the way that they're playing the game. And Kelly Hancock, quite frankly, is one of them. When asked, 55 cents of every property tax dollar you pay goes to school districts, and it's going to continue that way because the state has cut back its funding there in the formula. But back to where we were. The Dallas Morning News endorsing Kelly Hancock said, quote, he also offered an intriguing idea. Collect property taxes paid by power generation plants into a school, into a state school fund rather than local school funds. Power plants are generally in rural areas where school funding needs are relatively small and they pay big property taxes out of revenue that comes from all Texans who use electricity. I've put calls in to local... I just came across this this afternoon. Matter of fact, I didn't see it. I was tagged in a tweet about this, and it was at 406. And between 406, of course, we go on air at 5 o'clock Central Standard, 5 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, I had not seen this previously. Um, I put some calls in to school districts that have power plants and they draw revenue off these power plants and will respond to Kelly Hancock based on the info that I get back. I think they would say, and I've not heard directly, I've put the calls in. They said, wow, that's a bad idea. I think that they would go further and say it would be devastating for those school districts. Again, just to balance the books for a state in which there are not enough spines. And that's what seems to be the case with Kelly Hancock. I'll have some more on that, and I'll talk about it. And talk about it in terms that I think is approachable. Try to entertain you while we're doing it. But because I think it's important what's happening with rural school districts in this state and I'm broadcasting from the rural metropolis, and I argue to people all the time, there are no cattle guard gates around Lubbock. If there's trouble out there, it's going to come in here, and that includes school districts. It's most evident whenever we talk about a lack of health care for rural communities, and they get sick, and then they come into Lubbock, places like Lubbock and the Lubbock County Hospital, when they could have been treated much easier or for much less money, but they take up a bed in Lubbock uh, University Medical Center 
in Lubbock, the county hospital. And when they can't pay, guess who absorbs that cost? And when those school districts go belly up because suburbitarians like Hancock want to take in those revenues that would have helped those school districts stay afloat, guess who pays that cost? It's not just Lubbock. It's other rural metropolises like Lubbock, and it is Texas as a whole. More to come on that. I've gone too long. i got to get home. Got to get home. Great family, above average dinner, and I need to add this to my closing. Some complicated third grade math to get into with a couple of boys, a couple of twin boys there at the Lisa and Ponderosa. Best to you. Thanks for tuning in and making this program what it is. Your thoughts, if you've got stuff going on in your parts of the other side of Texas, Jay at other side of Texas, check us out on Facebook, putting that new piece up uh, momentarily about what's going on, Lubbock County Expo Center, and hope that you see that there on Facebook. Share with your friends, othersideoftexas.com, at OSTX, on, at OSTX Show on Twitter, for Chris Level, for Steve Verrett, and Suburbitarians everywhere. We thank you for listening, and we'll be with you back again with another episode here in about 23 hours. Have a good night, y'all.